0: We start a new series called "A New Reality." As um, going through the Book of Colossians, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to to Chapter One. Um, we're going to kind of be all over the place this morning. We're really going to dive into the text next week. Um, today, I kind of want to do a flyover of the whole book and kind of look at the context of what's going on here. Uh, I want to start though. With an interesting thing that I, I I both I listened to an interview and I read an article from Tom Holland. Tom Holland is a um, ancient historian. He, he studies uh, like the ancient Roman world and the Greek world, but he is a like pronoun atheist historian, right? Like he, people know him because he's his, he he knows his history of like the biblical times and he knows the Bible, but he also is like I'm an atheist, right? So I don't believe. And the Christian narrative, I don't believe Jesus is the son of God, all that stuff. But he knows this history like almost nobody else. And he wrote an article a while back called I Got It Wrong, right? And in this article, he kind of looks at the fact that Paul's letters changed the world, created a new reality, if you will, like nothing else before it. And of course, he attributes it to Paul's letters, but as a believer, we know what Paul's letters are about, right? They're about the risen Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And what is interesting is in other points in his career, he's compared the Roman world, this ancient Greek world to dinosaurs. He kind of talks about how his love For dinosaurs as a kid was a natural transition into his love for ancient for Greek and Roman history because dinosaurs were big they were bulky everywhere they went they didn't really care about life they they brought destruction and almost like this violence with no regard to anything around them they were just trying to please themselves (laughs) he's like it was a natural transition into ancient Rome because it was the same way. Their way of life was nothing like we have it today. They all they cared about were were power and money and sex. And it's like if we can achieve these things, that's what matters. And and who you, it doesn't matter that you are a human. The fact that the thought of human rights that we have today he points to Paul's letters as a transformation of when that took place. The fact that you have value just because you're human didn't apply to the Greek and Roman world. What, it, what they thought was, if you were the right nationality, if you had the right power, if you had money, you were, who, what, you were the ones that mattered. If you didn't fit those categories, you did not matter. And then this Jesus guy comes along and he creates a new reality. The people that follow him, they live differently. They see people and they treat them fairly or with compassion and gentleness. And there's this new reality that we see. And if you kind of have this broad view of history and you look down, you see this transition happen about the time that Paul's letters begin to circulate. And Colossians is one of these letters that we're going to dive into as we kind of look and see how that happened. It's interesting, though, because if you go and you can read the the book of Acts, it's kind of like we know that, that Pentecost happens at the beginning of Acts, right? So Jesus comes, he lives his life, he dies, he raises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, the Spirit comes and ignites his people, and it's like this explosion goes off, it starts in Jerusalem and spreads to the rest of the known world. And it does that through God's people. And the book of Acts is kind of like, this is how it happened. And it almost follows Paul's journey, right? It kind of, it almost ends abruptly with Paul's life. So you can see how the gospel, how the story of Jesus, how this new reality spreads throughout the world through Paul's life and the book of Acts. And you can actually go to to Acts 19 and Paul is in Ephesus. And you see, Paul is like, he's uh, at this point where he enters Ephesus. He kind of goes to the, the religious people. He goes to the, the, the Jews, and, and he tries to tell them about Jesus. And there's like this ruckus. They don't want to hear it. They, they, they push back on him. So he ends up teaching the Gentiles. And from the Gentiles, it, the, the gospel ends up into the city of Colossae. And then they run into all kinds of issues. So what I kind of want to look at today is I want to look at the fact that they had these questions. They had all kinds of their past starts to kind of bubble up. There's there's culture is saying they should live one way. The Jewish religious leaders are saying they should live one way. But then they have these people who have been changed by by, Paul, by Paul's message of Jesus, and they say they should live another way. And there's all this stuff that's kind of fighting on. And they're like, Paul, what do we do? How do we be Christian in this? world, this new reality? How do we follow Jesus when all this stuff is going on around us and it just seems messed up? And I think that we can relate to that story. We have situations in our life, we've got different influences that's on social media or in the news or friends at work or whatever it is, people at church, we have these influences that, that are bringing us in all these different directions. And we know that we're supposed to love God and love others and, and treat people fairly, but we've got people in our life who just always seem to beat us down. And we just don't know, we, we are faced with these same questions, whether it's in a new high school or, or trying to figure out a situation at home or, or whatever it is, we have these situations where we're like, okay, I believe in Jesus. Like, I know I do, and I want to follow him. But, man, how do I do that in my context? How do I do that? What does it mean to be a Christian? Who are the, the, the good people? How do I have the power? Where does the power come from to be those people? And I think that, now, now wouldn't it be great, right, if we had those questions and we could just call up a mentor or call up somebody that we look up to and ask them those questions and see if they have any wisdom to offer, insight that they can speak into our lives. And that's what this book of Colossians is. These Christians have all this stuff going on around them and they want to know what it means to follow Jesus in their context, and so they send somebody out to Paul while he's in prison to ask him these questions. And Paul writes back to, to be the mentor for them. And I think now here and today as Christians in all world, we can see what Paul teaches them and apply it to our context. I kind of want to do a broad view of the book today by looking at three Ps for our outline, right? So we've got the people, we've got the problem, And we've got the purpose of the book. And that's kind of what we're going to cover today. So the people, we've already talked about Paul, right? It starts off, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother. So we've got Paul and Timothy. Timothy's kind of acting like his, his um, administrative assistant at this point. Paul is writing the letter, so he uses the first person, I. But he's saying, this is coming from me and Timothy to you. He says, Paul, an apostle of, of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Who's this letter to? It's to the people in Colossae. For, to God's holy people, some versions say to God's saints in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our God and our Father. So we'll see that there, as we unpack this letter, there's some, some key people, right? So you've got Paul and Timothy, you've got the people in Colossae, but then you also have this, this guy that's named Epaphras right? Epaphras, and then we have Philemon and Onesimus. These are kind of three three people that we're going to follow throughout this story. Philemon and Onesimus, they come later. Onesimus is actually Philemon's slave, and he escapes and runs away. And when he runs away, he meets Paul. He hears the good news of the gospel. He surrenders his life. He becomes a Christian. He starts following Jesus. We actually see the next book in the Bible is Philemon, where, where Paul is like, hey, bro, you, uh, you broke the law by running away, and uh, so you got to go back. We're like, wait a minute. That's there's some, even there's some hard text when we see here where it says, slave obey their masters. Like, we're, we're going to unpack that stuff. But when he writes that letter to Philemon, he's like, hey, Onesimus is coming back. He's a brother in Christ, not a slave. And you actually see the first hints in the Bible of abolishing slavery, even back in Paul's day where nobody had that thought. It wasn't a notion that slavery shouldn't exist. But we see Paul plant those seeds in these books. So it's very interesting. We're going to unpack. Those those are two people that take this message that Paul has been talking about and they take it to their world. Going back to Epaphras, he's the one that kind of becomes the pastor. You can go to Acts 19 and read where I was talking about Paul was talking. He goes to the Christians, and, and, or he goes to the Jewish leaders, and they don't want to hear anything about Jesus. So then Paul goes to the, the lecture hall of Tyrannus, right? Like Tyrannus Rex, get it? Okay, it's an easy way to remember. But he's basically, it's, it's almost like a school. It's a Bible study, and it goes on for two years, but it's not like a convenient Bible study. Like It's like, hey, guys, uh, welcome to Revive. We're going to start a Bible study. It's going to be from about 10 p.m. to about 2 a.m. a couple of times a week. And we are like, listen, Bible study, that sounds great. I'm all for discipleship. I want to learn. But, bro, that's not a good time. (laughs) I got work. I've got kids. We got all these things. Like, not a good time. But basically, that's the equivalent of what happens here. Paul starts this Bible study when he can. Not the greatest time. But it takes off. You can go read Acts 19, it says all of Asia Minor, all of this region, hears the good news of Christ. It's like we start this Bible study at a horrible time, and all of Covington, Georgia, southeast of America, hears the gospel because of this. That's what's going on in this context. And in that situation, Epaphras hears this message. He, he attends these lectures. He hears from Paul. He learns from Paul for about two years, and then he goes back to his hometown, Colossae, and he takes it with them. It, 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 he's actually called the minister, so he becomes their pastor. And what I love about these people, the reason I bring them up, is because from what we can tell, they have no formal education. They're not like Paul that's got all this, uh, all this religious Teaching and background. They're just normal people, Gentiles, even like not even from the religious world. They're just normal people living their life and they hear about this Jesus and he, they have an encounter with him and the Spirit changes them and they're hungry for more. They have a passion for God and they can't help but take it with them and tell their city, tell the people around them about it. Listen, if you're here this morning and you just feel like you, there's something more of your life, all God's looking for is someone who's hungry and and passionate, and on fire for him. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. God wants to use you in your context with your friends, with the people you know, the people you work with. He will empower you and fill you to tell others about him. This church in Colossae takes off because one guy is motivated. He's, He's changed, and he can't help but tell everybody else how much Jesus loves them, how he died for them, how he empowers them. And so the, the, these people, they, they're normal everyday people, they hear this message and they take it back to their city and this church is formed. And what happens when, when normal everyday people start a church, it's really messy, right? Like, like people have life. I know we have our lives. We all come from different backgrounds. We have different contexts. There's things that, and, and it was the same way in this church. And it was messy but the church is rolling. It's starting to take off. It's starting to grow. This, they have their own Bible study and, it, and people are coming they're being added to it. But then as they do that, this is the problem. Their past and their cultural issues begin bubbling up and they begin to get overwhelmed with all this different information that's coming into them and they begin to get torn apart. You've got these religious Jewish leaders who are saying, look, you got to obey all the rules. You gotta you gotta have this scripture memorized. You gotta be circumcised, which look, that's painful, right? They don't wanna have any part in that. They, they, that you have to you can't eat pork, no brisket, and you gotta get circumcised. Like that sounds awful, right? And they're telling you gotta follow all these rules, you have to do all these things. Great, you guys are new believers. I'm glad you're you're in these religious circles. But listen, you're not really saved unless you follow all these rituals. But then you got all these other people. Remember, this is a Gentile group, so you've got people coming in that I'm going to give you a big word, right? Gnosticism, right? This is this ancient. This a Greek philosophy, but it's basically they're saying, look, the they don't believe that the matter, the material world, is good. They think everything matter. Everything in the real world that you can touch and taste and see is all bad. They think that, we'll hear that Paul says not to pray to angels at a certain point in this because they think there's this way that you can separate from reality and kind of through meditation and different things you can enter a new realm and it's the realm of the angels. And if you can just get out of this material world, life will be better. And they want to separate from everything that's good. Everything that's on, if if it's on earth, it is bad don't taste don't touch don't feel that's what they kind of say over and over and over again there's this mysticism of, of praying to angels you also see this thing that's called asceticism if i said that right i might not have but basically it's like you you reach this high level of humanness by almost torturing yourself because they believe matter and earth and touching and feeling and stuff is so bad, they'll do things like depriving themselves, causing themselves to suffer. And if we deprive ourselves, we make ourselves suffer, oftentimes by causing harm to themselves, we become more human and, or less human but better people. Does that make sense? And so you've got, you've got people over here saying you've got to follow these rituals. And you've got people over here saying, no, you got to do these different mystic, mystic things and you got to get this extra knowledge that we have that comes from a different realm that isn't earth and you, you got to avoid all these things that are good. And, Paul, and they're writing to Paul like, look, can, it seems like now that we're Christians, there's things we have to do that we can't do and there's things we can't do that we have to do and they're torn and you've got people in the group are saying that you got to do it this way. You got people in the group who are saying you got to do it this way. And they begin to butt heads and this church begins to get pulled apart from the inside out. Being a Christian today is not much different. We might not deal with Gnosticism, but we, we do deal with branches of it. I mean, there, there are Christians who say, I can't wait till I leave this earthly body, right? And they can't wait to, to get up into heaven. It's this place separate from here. And yes, it's true that when we die, we enter paradise with Jesus, our souls leave our bodies, but we don't stay that way. This earth is actually good in God's intention. It's actually how he, he's going to renew it and make it better. So there's this sense of even some of these teachings have entered the, the church, but maybe we don't suffer from those things. Maybe it's not those exact things. But we do deal with, with. There's I mean, you can just get on social media, and in five minutes you can hear all these self-help things about how you can make your life better. And some of them are good. Like I mean, they're, I'm not knocking all of them but there's this, this plethora of information about how your life can be better. And a lot of times we, we seek those things, right? It used to be that you had to like go and, and get a book or read a self-help book or go see a motivational speaker, all these things to try and change your life. But now you can get online in five minutes here 30 different ways to change your life in 30 days, right? It takes no time at all to hear these different philosophies and things like that. And I'm not saying that all of these things are bad, but what I'm saying is as Christians, in this day and age where it's not about how much you know, it's about how fast you can find it out. We can easily pull out our phone, get on Google, and say, how do I address this situation? How do I fix this situation? And that can be good. I've fixed a lot of car problems through Google and YouTube, okay? Like, that's fine. But the problem is, as Christians, our knee-jerk reaction, the first thing we do shouldn't be to pull out our phone and go to Google. The first thing we do should be to get on our knees and go to our Heavenly Father who is uh, above all of that. And, and seek his face and see how he want us to move forward. It's about seeking Jesus first. And, and just like this church in Colossae had all these things competing for its attention, we today have all these things competing for our attention, trying to distract us, trying us to tell how, us how to live our life. And so this Epaphras guy is like, bro, being a pastor is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Apparently, it's not about how I can get plugged into church. Apparently, it's like, how do I be a Christian when this relationship has fallen apart? And since the pandemic just being open with you guys, the questions that I receive when people find I'm a pastor, they've changed. I can remember being a youth pastor and on the team up in South Carolina, and people were like, oh, cool, how do I become a part of a life group? Or how do I get involved in youth ministry? How do I be on the praise team? Those were the questions I got. But really, since the pandemic, people find out that I'm a pastor, and they're like, man, I can't even talk to my wife without being furious. My kids drive me crazy. How do you how do you How do you parent? How do, you, how do you be a Christian in what I have going on? The questions have changed. And this, this is what's happening to Epaphras. The people are coming to him and he's like, bro, I love Jesus. I don't know how to handle all this. There's all these things going on in our world. So he goes back to Paul. He's like, Paul, can you help us? And Paul, at this point, is in prison. He's literally on house arrest. At the end of this letter, we see, he says, remember my chains. So he hears this he he hears this news about how the church is being torn apart in Colossae. He's like, "Look, I'm going to write a letter." And you almost see like you see this mentor type relationship. It's like the uh and walks in. Paul's like, here's a cup of coffee. Tell me what's going on. And there's like this pastoral heart from Paul as he's writing to the church. And he's like, here's how you can handle this issue. Here's how you can handle this issue. He talks about household codes and he talks about what it means to have a slave and how you should treat them. And he talks about all this stuff. And he's like, this is how you live out the gospel in your context and what you have going on. And there's this huge pastoral heart. And that takes us from the people to the problem. And now we see the purpose that he wrote the book. The first thing is he sees that he wants them to properly value Jesus. It's easy to miss in our Bibles because it doesn't necessarily show that it's a poem, but there's a, and Colossians 115, Paul writes out this poem about the supremacy of Jesus. He talks about how mighty Jesus is. He uses things like, he says he's the image of the invisible God. This word actually means icon, right? It's the icon that, that, so you can't see the invisible God, but Jesus is this image of God. He's the head of the church. He's the fullness of God. He's saying, "You, you guys, you have all this influence coming in from the outside, and you think you need these things in order to feel, fulfill what what God's calling you to. But all you don't need all those things. What you just don't fully understand, Jesus. And he writes this beautiful poem about how amazing and powerful and beautiful Jesus is. He says, if you just take all that, it's out there. We're going to learn how to deal with it. But first things first, we have to elevate Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on him. We have to realize that he paid it all. He gives us the abundant life. The way we live as Christians is to elevate him above all. He becomes the lens in which we look at the world. If somebody comes out and they're like, look, this is going to make your life better. Before we believe them, we look at Jesus and say, does that reflect the Jesus of the Bible? And if it does not, we know that that is not something we pursue. He elevates Jesus. He says, the first thing is to have a proper value of who Jesus is. The second thing he says is that they should have freedom of salvation. See, these people, they're saved, they're following Jesus, but then they have these other groups that are judging them for the way they follow Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus died to set you free. And if there's one thing that we can relate to, It's living in a culture that judges. If there's one thing our culture does great, it's being judgmental. You don't believe me? Wear a shirt that says Biden rocks and go rock around the square and see how many people say things to you. Our culture knows how to judge each other and they were dealing with the same thing and Paul is saying, "You have freedom in your salvation. You have freedom from sin. You have freedom from your past. You have freedom from judgment, from legalism, from all these worldly ideologies. Christ, when we properly value Him and we place our salvation in Him, we have freedom from those things." And the last thing that he, the purpose and the reason he writes it is that they will be formed. This was the scripture on the screen this morning, and. And it's one of it's one of my favorite. It's absolutely beautiful the way it is written. It's First Colossians, or it's Colossians one twenty eight, and it says this. Let me get to it. He is the one we proclaim, talking about valuing Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What's one of the purposes he wrote it is he wants to see the people of Colossae fully mature in Christ. That's one of the reasons he writes this letter. When we properly value Jesus, we find freedom of salvation, we begin to be fully formed and transformed in him to be mature in Christ. And we may dive more into this next week, but I wanna end this message with how he starts his letter. He greets them as saints, as family And as faithful, he says, to God's holy people, other translations say saints, to God's saints in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. He gives them these three encouragements. He hears all the stuff that they're battling with. And before he gives them any instruction, before he addresses anything about them, he calls out their identity in Christ. He says, you are holy people. You are saints. And he's not talking like when we hear saints, I think we think like Mother Teresa, the perfect Jesus followers who who sacrifice all this stuff and they do all the, we elevate these saints that we've heard about in the past. But he's saying, no, you regular people are doing your best, even though sometimes you fall short, even though you're confused, even though you might not have all the information. You people who follow Jesus, you are holy. You are saints. That is your identity. It doesn't matter that you struggle. It doesn't matter that you have these questions. You are Holy. And you are family. You belong. You belong up as a part of this church. You belong as a part of this community. And You belong here to a people who are being judged, to a people who are being outcast, to a people who are being picked on. To hear that they belong is one of the greatest encouragements you can receive. One of my, I've used this illustration before, but I, I love it. We all have heard the phrase that blood is thicker than water, Right? Blood is thicker than water. And it kind of means like, you know what? We got to be there for our family. We got to stand up for our family. They may make us so angry. They may fall short, but blood is thicker than water. Well, the origin of that phrase actually says that the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Saying that those fellow believers Those who are Christians, they may make us mad. We may disagree with them, but they are closer than family. They're closer than the water of the womb. Blood is thicker than water. It's really this fact that if we are believers, we are fighting for one another. We belong to this group, and we need to continue to work together, lift each other up, and push forward as a community. He calls them family and says that they belong. And the last thing is that they're faithful. He's saying you may fall short but you're faithful with the Lord. You've sought me to figure out how you deal with all of this. Stay strong. Don't beat yourself up. Keep following Jesus. And all of those messages, we're going to look at context and things as we go forward, but all of those messages reign true for me and for you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. When we surrender to him, we enter into this family of believers. And you may be confused about how you live that out. You may be, be confused about how that, how that all looks in your world. But listen, you are a saint. You are forgiven. You're, you're free. Your sin doesn't matter anymore. You, you have freedom from your sin. You have freedom from your past. You are family and you are faithful. And I pray that as we dive through this book and we continue to work through it, that you'll take it and you'll apply it to your lives and that we as a church can seek the Lord and, the, and seek his wisdom the way that the Colossian church did the, just the same. My challenge, if I can give you some practical homework, right? We do this every time we go through a book. This, is, this, this book is four chapters. You can read it once a week. You can read it once a day. If you have the Version Bible app, it takes 10 minutes to listen to I challenge you that as we go through this book for the next several weeks, that you will dive in and you will read this over and over and over again. It takes like, I don't know, 20 minutes to read the whole book and it's beautiful. The way that that Paul writes this letter, it really is elegant and it speaks to so much. So my, my challenge to you is that as we navigate what it means to be a Christian in our world, as we navigate what it means to walk in this new reality, Let's read this book together as a church family and press forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your written word, preserved all of these years, that when we we need to hear from you and we just feel like we can't connect, that we don't have to do some kind of special ritual, we don't have to meditate. Heavenly Father, we can literally just open up our Bible and hear your voice. Spirit, I pray that as we dive into it, that you would speak to our hearts, that you reveal its truth to our minds and our hearts, that we can live our lives in a way that makes you famous, that we can elevate Jesus above all else, and that we can live as followers of Christ despite the messiness of our world. Strengthen us and encourage us as we leave this place this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys, you're dismissed.